Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? It's always important to enunciate the B in Bearcat, especially at the intros of these podcasts because it is near and dear, special to all of us. We just had the cats rally back. They had a deficit for a minute. Short-lived. It's a strong word. Rally is a strong word in this case. Strong, strong word. Either way, it doesn't matter. 19-point victory against Tulane. Game day is coming to town, baby. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. I love it, Hum. Indeed it is. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan. You did not bury the lead there, sir. College game day, ESPN has finally, it is long overdue, but they have finally decided to come to Cincinnati for homecoming weekend. College game day, Reese Davis, Desmond Howard. Does this mean David Pollock's going to be in town? Is David Pollock going to be here? This is the worst. This is probably the the worst from from a propaganda standpoint, since that's what's hot right now on Twitter. This is the worst game they could have come to from a propaganda standpoint, because they're going to get booed consistently throughout this program by Cincinnati fans. Kirk Kirk Derp Street. He's back being Derp Street now. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, mighty high on us. Number two. All of a sudden, we're we're no, we're number five magically. Uh, he's gonna get booed. He's he's. He's, I know he's not safe in Columbus half the time he's there. He's, this is not a threat but in any way, shape, or form. He's probably not going to be safe in the city of Cincinnati either, though. He's going to get booed. Talking about his emotional safety. We're talking about um, how he feels after leaving the city uh, because of, of how ESP. It's not even so much Derb Street in particular. Uh, it, it's, it's, the, it's the propaganda mouthpiece that is ESPN when it comes to the college football playoff and the transparent not hidden at all narrative shaping they do um, well in advance of actually needing to hash out who's in, who's out, what's going to happen. Like, you know, we're going to get into it later. I don't want to, I don't want to get sidetracked here on this podcast with, with going after ESPN from the get go. It is good news though. Like no matter how you slice it, it is great news. We can't can't get on, on them until Tuesday. We don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. And let's save it for Tuesday. And, and I might even suggest that we go live, right? Like, I think there, there probably should be some sort of live reaction that night uh, while we record the podcast. But I do think it's, it's unabashedly great news to have college game day coming to town, even against an opponent like Tulsa. Homecoming weekend, the city's going to be actually absolutely buzzing. The grid is going to be lively, to say the least. And I'm, I'm certainly underselling it there. Uh, with with the with the word lively, but all in all, great news for Cincinnati. Another another notch in the belt of John Cunningham, frankly, uh, to get to have this happen under his watch. Uh, it, it's been coming up aces when it for for John Cunningham. I'm excited for it. I'm going to make sure I'm heading down there for the for the events, for the tailgating, for the experience itself. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited about it. And frankly. We should also be excited by the fact that the Cincinnati Bearcats continue to be the number two ranked team in the AP poll and the coaches poll. And this is the week that these two polls will become obsolete as of Tuesday when the college football playoff committee releases their first version of the college football playoff rankings. Um, I feel like but- you're, you're skipping over a lot here, man. You didn't even let me ask you one question about your thoughts about game day here. 
please. Yeah, any any speculation on who our everybody wants to know for some reason? It's it's you know who the special picker is going to be, the uh, the special guest picker. Any any idea? Any inkling? Any wishes? Thoughts? Hopes? Uh, I was I was actually told that information. I was told that I can't actually share it. I, I got it from a, a confidential source. It's Sarah Jessica Parker. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Super excited, Sex in the City. It's leaving the Big Apple. It's heading back to her hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio. She's coming. She'll be she'll be flying private. She'll have all of her all of her sidekicks with her. So all you single men, get ready. Sex in the City is coming to the grid. It's Brian Kelly. They decided to fly in Brian <laughs> Kelly, and, and it, 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 I'm disappointed. It's not the guy I would have gone with. He would have been high on the list of people to not have as the celebrity picker, but. Uh, no, I don't know who it's going to be, Hummer. I do have, I probably have a better list of who it, who it shouldn't be. You know, the first thing I did was check the the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs schedules for next week. Both of them play. They don't have a bye week, so that rules out, probably rules out the Kelsey brothers. They probably would have been candidates number one and two. They would have been entertaining. They're big names, high-profile football players for the program. Uh, so those would have been my favorite two, with them being unlikely. I still would. I hope they keep it to a Cincinnati Bearcat. Like I hope they keep it to a very close connection to the University of Cincinnati rather than going Cincinnati Red or Cincinnati Bengal. That's my personal preference. Um, what about you? Who do you have out there? Who's on your list? Well, Connor Barn would be on the list for sure. Just, just an absolute character. And you know, uh, it doesn't even pain me to say this. He's probably one of the most famous Bearcat fans. You know, in, in at least in our, I guess, our celebrity, celebrity Bearcat verse, that's not a former player. Don't say it. Oh, we're Don't saying say it. it. We're Don't saying say it. it. No. Sweet, sweet, sexy Nicholas Lachey. Terrible. See, he's on, Terrible. He's, on, he's on my do not select list. Like enough of Nick Lachey. This is the same guy who's like tweeting out hashtag fight on for USC. Okay. You, you can't be the USC supporter when it's convenient and then hop over to the Bearcats when we start peaking again. So no, enough of Nick Lachey. Cool. He's a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. What cool. about Steven Spielberg? He's from <laughs> Spielberg's fine. If he cuts, you know, a $20 million check to the university at the same time, I'm fine with someone who wants to exploit the opportunity for their own personal gain and marketing. You know, if, if, if Spielberg wants to come on and talk some West side story reboot, I'm happy. Do it. Use game day for for West Side Story, you know, propaganda. However, make sure that goes in tandem with a massive check to the University of Cincinnati Athletics Department. I love it. Uh, no, in all honesty, I I would prefer it to be. I would probably I would definitely prefer it to be Connor Barwin. I feel like he's at the top of my list. I know Jim Herman, that his name. It is. Jim Herman is is not going to be the guy, but it would be a funny selection. Seems like he seems seems like a pretty funny guy on Twitter. Uh, PGA golfer. I think he's got three tour wins. Connor Barwin is probably like leader in the clubhouse right now, although for for a Cincinnati Bearcat, I should say. Um, but if it's going to be. I don't know. My If I'm like betting odds, I think I'm probably leaning toward them selecting a Bearcat. I'm sorry, a Bengal or a or a uh, Cincinnati red or something like that. But we're, we're lingering too long on that question. Who knows what it's going to be. It's exciting that they're coming to town. There's anybody like that. I want, I want Joey Burrow. LSU tiger two years ago. Really? 
if you're going to be representing Cincinnati, he's the more, swag. he's more, he's the guy with swagger on that team. Look, who else are you going to, who else are you getting from that team? More SEC? More SEC? No. I'm saying, he said if it's going to be a Bengals player, I want Joey Burrow. <clears throat> Chad, uh, Chad Johnson, if it's going to be a Bengal. Ex Bengal, that'd be a good one. Uh, I could, I could handle that. Baseball. You know what? Joey Votto's quirky enough that he would make it really interesting because he'd probably say something along the lines of, you know, uh, is it is it Kurt Kirk? I don't watch a whole lot of college football. Uh, not really sure how the sport works because you're you know, you're not swinging, swinging baseballs, uh, swinging bats and hitting balls. So, you know, what? I'm just going to go with the Bearcats. You know, I got to go with the home team. I got to go with my local pride. Uh, we got to go Cincinnati. So I would be happy with Joey Votto as well. The reason game day is coming into town, Hummer, is the fact that it's essentially a celebration of all that the Cincinnati Bearcats have achieved under Luke Fickle for the past three seasons. Um, not that Luke Fickle has been here for only three seasons, but this has been a a slow, a slowly. It has not been a slow crescendo. It's been a, it's been a very dramatic crescendo to making the University of Cincinnati into a team that is now legitimately in the college football playoff conversation. They remain ranked number two in the coaches poll. They remain ranked number two in the AP poll. And as I mentioned before, both of these become obsolete this week. When we see the college football playoff committees, first rankings come out on Tuesday night, Reese Davis and in his college game day announcement said he expects the Bearcats to come in at number two. I do not believe that to be a consensus. There are a wide, vast array of, of different opin- differing opinions as to where the Bearcats will fall in this, in this initial college football playoff rankings. And I'm sort of figuring out a way to juxtapose this, this immense hype and uh, intensity that's, that's around the Cincinnati Bearcats program with the product that we've seen on the field the last two games, right? Because the Cincinnati Bearcats football fans We've seen the team, I would just describe it as plateauing over the last two weeks. They have not been their typical dominant, overwhelming selves against teams that came into these matchups with one win apiece. So as you as you see the University of Cincinnati reach this pinnacle of sorts where college game day is here and all that it represents, where's your head at with this moment for the Cincinnati Bearcats? Well, what can't be understated about game day is the visibility that it gets you for three hours. The, the city of Cincinnati, the university of Cincinnati will be on full display. It'll be our students being back there, being able to have their crazy signs. It'll be our students as we were discussed being able to boo or cheer uh, based off what, what is being said about us. It's going to give us, it's going to give us fans the opportunity to speak into a microphone and share our, our feelings about how the national media is talking about us. Uh, and, you know, there seems to be a, a mixture of how that's going. And a lot of that has to do with the play that you alluded to in the last two games. There seems to be out of eight quarters of played against a, to- a team with who- two teams who combined two wins. Probably two quarters of those, what I, I would say are us, what we have been, exp- what we've, what we have realized what has been going on all season. The last two quarters of Tulane, were, were really good. The last two quarters were really good. The first two quarters were abysmal. The two quarters, pri- uh, the four quarters prior to that against Army, very challenging. And, and I heard someone, you know, talk about, well, you know, 
from just being like hard to watch football that, you know, I watched UC in 2016, you know, 51 to three getting blown up by the SFU. The difference here is we have expectations now that we are going to win, whether that's fair or not. It's things. So where I'm sitting right now is I'm excited about game day coming, but when you hear someone say like, Oh, I think they're going to be a two. I have a, I feel like a teenage teenager right now. Cause like last week, I think I was proclaiming us winning the national championship. And, and this week I'm like, all right, you know, I'm not so sure that our position for the college football playoff is as solid because of the performance we put up against Tulane. Right. I think the difficulty is losing perspective on the resume that the Bearcats have earned to this point. They earned the preseason ranking of number eight in the country by having an undefeated regular season record in 2020 and going toe to toe with a Georgia Bulldogs team that is now the most dominant team in the country week in week out. That's the only school that is emphatically bashing in skulls on a week to week basis. And the last team that was able to truly compete with them and truly, you know, present a, 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 a worthy opponent was the Cincinnati Bearcats. So I think when you factor in that history with the fact that they also went on the road, won in Indiana, but more importantly, went on the road and won emphatically with, without question, without any sort of flukiness, they went into South Bend and bullied Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a legitimate top 10 team that continues to build their own resume a resume that if they had, frankly, if they had beaten Cincinnati, that's a team that's probably in the college football playoff as we speak, which does does sort of capture how much more difficult it is for a school like Cincinnati versus a school like Notre Dame, um, even when they do play each other, go head to head. And Cincinnati's clear, clearly the more you know polished, more dominant team, more playoff worthy team. We then play out a schedule that has weaker opponents which comes with its own baggage. There is no, there's literally no upside for the Cincinnati Bearcats when it comes to playing teams like Navy, Tulane, then Tulsa, then South Florida. It's a four game stretch that as of two weeks ago featured teams that were six and 20. How are you actually proving yourself in these games? And I think that's sort of the difficulty we find ourselves in. What can this team do that would actually be satisfactory in the eyes of a Bearcat fan who wants perfection on a week to week basis? I mean, that's that's easy to say. What what do we expect from Bearcat fans to expect perfection? We we expect the blowouts and we let's take two. Let's look at just Tulane because that's that's the game we most recently played. That's what's fresh in everyone's mind. So let's take a look at where where things, I guess, kind of went off the rails from there. We played two two games where they, the, the, the script against us for inferior teams is to run the ball, control clock keep our offense off the field and, and don't let our secondary be involved in the game. That's, that's the game script. Right. And so that's where we have an issue is that we let two teams dictate the terms of the game until late, later in the game with Tulane, it became later that finally, when we started getting up two scores, they have to start airing the ball out. They have to get our secondary involved. The mistakes start to happen. We start causing turnovers we start pulling away and we end up winning by 19. The issue we have is in the beginning of that game, we let, we let Tulane stay around too long and we didn't take advantage of scoring early and often. Yeah. We scored on the first, the first drive, but then we kind of stalled out from there. 
And that's not acceptable from like, if you're talking about what do Bearcat fans expect, we expect to look at what, you know, we expect to look at what Ohio state or what Oregon is doing to their lesser competition, beating them, beating them easily, two touchdowns in the first quarter, you know, maybe add a second one in the second quarter, you know, having these, building these leads and just showing that we are a superior team. We have the superior talent. And I think that's what, what is lacking. That's where it kind of is causing a little bit of anxiety amongst us Bearcat fans is that we're not seeing our talent just destroying what we look at as inferior talent on the other side of the line of, line of scrimmage. That is the perfect, perfect way to sum it up. Two weeks ago, after demolishing Central Florida, I think I said this team for the rest of the season is going to walk on the field against every other team. Every other, in, in every game they play this season in the American Athletic Conference, they're going to walk onto the field and know that we are out. We have we are better talent at every single position on the field than every single opponent we play this season. And so it's a matter of physically dominating, physically intimidating your, your opponents and knowing that there's this expectation that we should face no challenge. Like that's, that's sort of what it feels like. We should certainly go into a game against a one and six Tulane team and just blow them off the field. And what, what happened in particular in that first half was jarring to watch you know, the Bearcats, I think, took a 14 to 12 lead in the halftime. But what we experienced during that, the entirety of that first half was this team, this Tulane team, was playing a, a freshman quarterback who coming into the game, I think had thrown two or three passes on the entire season and in his entire career. And, and they came in and they said, we're not going to lean on this quarterback because we know he doesn't have the game to throw on the premier pass defense in college football. And so they ran on us again and again and again and again. And I think after 15 carries or so, they're averaging six yards a carry, getting whatever they want. They easily rack up 125 yards rushing with a few minutes left in the first half. And you're thinking, how is it possible that Tulane is coming into this game and beating up our defensive front? How, how is this team, without nearly the talent that we have, Without a coaching, like they're, they're, they should be outmanned from a coaching standpoint too. But they came in and somehow were able to rush for over 125 yards in the first half. Something was completely off about the performance in that first half. And it's and and I think what we discussed about offline was it's not unique. Like we have had struggles in the first half of these games. Now, fortunately, we tend to clean that up at halftime, and maybe it's a sign of a coaching staff that knows how to adjust. But why are we not prepared? for a Tulane team to try and rush the ball again and again and again, forcing their hand into Cincinnati's strength, which would be force this freshman quarterback to throw on us because he's, he's, he's a, he's a fish in water at that point. Um, we're going to dominate that team. If, if this quarterback has to throw the ball. Yeah. I mean, what really sticks out to me when you're, when you're talking and, and that's that kind of that, I don't know. 125 yards perspective in the first half is what if this wasn't Tulane, right? What if, what if this is a team that has the ability, the ability to both air it out and run the ball at an incredibly high level, the way we would probably see when we play the likes of an Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, not necessarily Oklahoma, just kidding. Oklahoma, some of these schools that we're looking at it being as in that group of elite teams, 
it would be it's scary to think of what what would happen to us if we had to wait till halftime to adjust to a team that's just going to rush the ball up the middle on us and get you know seven eight nine yards a carry that's a terrifying prospect and that's what needs to change and it needs to change quickly otherwise it's going to come back and haunt us these slow starts but this is why it's so hard to watch games as a bearcat fan what you just said right there is why it's hard to watch but it's also it's a little bit unfair what you're thinking in your head because when we're playing Tulane, we're playing Tulane. Yet as a Bearcat fan, what you're saying is you're not actually thinking about Tulane in that moment. You're thinking, well, what if this was one of the best schools in the country running the ball like this? But they could also throw the ball. But that's not actually reality. The reality was this team it was forced to travel to New Orleans to play a one in six team in front of 356 people, right? Like there's. There's no energy. There's no vibe. There's no reason to necessarily have this to get pumped up because you know you are the dominant team and that there's not much you have to do. It's not going to take a behemoth effort to actually beat this team soundly. They beat them by 19 and and we played, you know, average. It was a pedestrian performance by the Cincinnati Bearcats and yet they still win by 19. So how do you expect this team to, to treat Tulane as if it is one of the best in the country when they're in fact not. I think it's what it's, it's coming down to love coach Vic, but it's coming down. To, it's, it's, it's a coaching issue there. You have to find a way to get these guys fired up for these games. You have to, you know, I think I pointed out at one time and someone took this, uh, do you mean something different? But I'm like, it felt almost like business, you know, business meeting vibes. Like, you know, we're there, we're doing our jobs at the end of the day. It's a job. It's not very fun. Jerome Ford scores a touchdown. I know he's not a guy who, who's a big emotion guy, but all you see is the guys walk up to him, a pat on the head, you know, a little pat on the butt, and then they scoot on off to the side. No one getting hyped, no one getting excited. Like, and that's you know what? Get excited for to crush these teams. Get excited to 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 show your might. At the end of the day, I don't think it's unfair though to say to sit there and think, all right, well, what if we what if this was a better team? Because at the end of the day, we know that's probably which maybe we're lucky. Maybe we get lucky and the committee's not actually watching the full games and they only watch the second half, but that's what the, that's what the guys on the committee would think. If we take the corruption out of the system, that's what they're thinking. That's what the, the talking heads are thinking is, Oh, well, you know, well, this team's just going to get crushed. That's, that's what we always hear, right? They're, they're just going to get crushed. And I, we don't have to talk about, we know other power five teams get crushed in the playoffs. I get that, but that's, that's why that thinking's there because it is what you're thinking. We're being judged against the best of the best in the country. And all we have to prove ourselves against is playing teams. Like right now it's playing teams like Tulane, South Florida, Tulsa. That's all we have in the moment. We have to take what we have and we have to take advantage of it and pound them into the dirt where they belong. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you. All, all I'm saying is that we've seen the Bearcats now, you know, since that Ohio State um, embarrassment in 2019, anytime this team has run up against an elite opponent and an elite opportunity where you want to see how they stack up against the best, they thrive. They went into Notre Dame, who is still a top 10 team and continues to win every single game they've played except against the Bearcats. And they went in there and absolutely embarrassed them on their home field. That was, Look. it was, it was, it became. Clifton South or Clifton West or wherever the hell they are geographically. That was, that was an incredible performance. 
Indiana featured a slow start, and it was probably the game that mimicked this two-lane game the, the most in terms of defensively not being able to stop the run very well. If you look at pro football focus, it was easily uh, those two games, Indiana and now Tulane, were the worst tackling games uh, of our season. And this game, that really stood out. We were we were missing tackles. Tulane, I think, you know, they had a 30-19 at one point that almost was converted. I think they got it to fourth and two because of three or four missed tackles on one single run. And and Tulane didn't go for it. And that's the type, that was a losing play for Tulane where it should have gone going, for it. You're not going for it on fourth and two when you're getting six yards of carry this entire game. But, you know, those are the things that kind of stand out to me is I don't want to pretend that there, there was a different opponent in this game when the, the opponent was Tulane. That's the reality. And, and that comes with, the, with its own baggage. I just think it's such a, the reason that this schedule is so frustrating at times is there is so little upside in these games because winning is simply not enough. And it's, it's such a difficult place to put your team when it's like, hey, fellas, it's not even necessarily about winning the game. We need to win these games very convincingly. And I think Luke Fickle's been hesitant to talk that way. We heard it with Des Ritter after the game. They're not willing to address the elephant in the room, which is that style points actually do matter in terms of how we perform against the USFs, Tulane's, Navies of the world. We have to win emphatically. We have to win convincingly because if you continually beat these teams in, in ways like 19 is, is okay, it's respectable, but if you continue to win games by seven or, or 10 um, and, and you don't win these games resoundly, I do think that that is what gradually deteriorates our standing in terms of the college football playoff, which is our ultimate goal. And everything's in the context of this playoff. Well, if you don't think style points matter, honestly, I'm going to be surprised if Ohio State's actually in the top four when the playoff committee meets because they have this, they had the style points and you hear them talking about, Oh, well, Ohio state's back in the conversation because they're putting up, they're averaging 50 points a game against the likes of Akron and Tulsa. Uh, great. But then they get to play what's now been exposed as a mediocre Penn state team who basically holds them off and has is in position to win the games. And they do get a little punished for it in the AP poll. They get punished for it. They get moved down a slot. Style points matter. And Ohio State's seeing that too. Like even for Ohio State, the difference is to the degree at which they matter for Ohio State because Ohio State has a different schedule remaining. Granted, we do too now, which is kind of nice. We have two, well, we have at least one ranked opponent on the on the board, potentially two, if we're playing Houston at home in Cincinnati for that AAC championship game. So but the style points, they do they matter for everybody because at the end of the day, when you go through those strengths of schedules, not everybody even has a good schedule. Ohio State's schedule is actually barely better than ours. Like if you look at their strength of schedules, they're rated a 92 and we're a 108. Like it's, it's, it's barely better in terms of strength of schedule. They had to go and wipe the, the faces off of those inferior competition to maintain that position of where they're at. And so do we. Luckily, we are getting some benefit of the doubt, at least in the AP voters, at least in the coaches poll, but it's starting to slip. It's starting that, to slip because these games aren't resume building opportunities, but they are, it, you can, you can potentially resume your, maintainers, the resume, the resume maintainers, if you take care of business and show, show your true colors to the committee, right? If you go into these games and just crush these inferior opponents, 
there's nothing they can do to, to hold these games against you. It's simply your schedule. They went in there. They took care of business. I wouldn't say that these were embarrassing performances. I don't think that the Bearcats have been necessarily bad. I, I think I would use the word pedestrian. Like they've been pedestrian performances against inferior teams that is going to allow other schools that had that have had better resume building opportunities these last two weeks to gain ground on the Bearcats. Now that doesn't disregard everything that we've accomplished so far this season, because the Cincinnati Bearcats have done plenty so far this season. When you look at how soundly they've beat opponents overall, the, the wins that we have the top 10 win on the, on the road, beating Indiana on the road by 14. There are things on this resume that overwhelm and, and match up with anybody else in the country. But I do think that it's, it's a bit of a missed opportunity. There's just been a little bit of slippage these last two weeks. Should we talk more in detail about the two lane games specifically and what you saw that maybe was most frustrating to you? Yeah. And, and frankly, this game, I don't want to think about it too, too much, honestly, because the first half was so infuriating and a lot of it comes down to we'll, we'll pick on we'll pick on Dembrock a little bit here. I'm not going to, I don't want to pile on him. I don't want to just dog pile on Dembrock because at the end of the day, players have to execute. Uh, but there were some, some weird calls that one of them in my mind led to the safety, you know, we're, we're on our, uh, we're basically what five, six yard line eight and we're dropping eight, eight, eight yard line. We're dropping back heavy and we're throwing deep bombs on first and second down. And with third down, third and long coming up, we end up taking a safety. You are the number two freaking team in the land and you're getting safetyed by Tulane. Unacceptable. Number one. Uh, but two, just, I don't, I don't get it. What's, what's the, what's the, what, what's the risk there? Why are you doing that? Uh, throwing the fade for a, for a touchdown on the third play of the drive. And like a fade's always, the, it's your first, that's your go-to on the red zone. Right, you're three yards out. You run a fade to the back back of the end zone. Right, you do that. Maybe then you try to you try to beast it in there. But we also know that Ford wasn't getting it done on the ground yesterday, which is going to happen. Look, there's going to be games that he's just not. It's not going to. It's not going to be going our way for the run game. Not going to happen. The insistence on doing run the ball up the middle, run the ball up the middle. The lack of creativity in any of the plays. I heard him talk about the announcers. Oh, now Cincinnati's going to get, you know, some more motion involved, some play action. And I'm like, we should be doing that all the time. We have so many playmakers on the field. We should be taking advantage of that. And we don't. And that's frustrating. And I feel like that falls on the back of Denbrock. What do you think? I, I mean, I think the, the safety drive was, was rough, right? Just, I mean, it was three play calls. It was two deep shots down the field, longer passes, followed by by a, another long developing play on third down that led to Des you know taking a, a deep sack for a safety that was that was a rough look i thought the rest of the first half and, and throughout most of the first half i actually thought we we maintained a certain level of aggression it didn't necessarily turn into to points but obviously the first drive of the game a 99 yard i think 16 play maybe 15 play drive that was immaculate right like that's <laughs> We, were, we started on the one-yard line. We were critical of the offense's ability to, or inability to maintain and, and drive the ball for long possessions. That was the epitome of, of what we need to start seeing from this offense. But then it was followed up by the safety, uh, after which the Bearcats did put together a five-yard 
touchdown drive to, to take that 14-9 lead. And then the last possession of the half, and this is largely due, like they, they only get four possessions in that first half, and, it, and it's because of Tulane's success in running the ball. But on that final possession, Des Ritter throws that interception, which to me was the last moment that there was any any aggression left in Den Brock and the co- coaching staff. Like it seemed like at that point, coming out in the second half, everything was ground and pound, conservative. We're going to overwhelm you with our physicality. So these our drives in the second half when they were successful were longer. They took they weren't as there weren't there wasn't that same level of explosiveness that we've come to know with this team with Alec Pierce and Trey Tucker and and Wiley. Like they didn't seem to to feature that big play ability in the second half. And it seemed to me like a coaching staff that got skittish after Des Ritter threw that that interception in the first half. So I don't know if they're in a situation right now where they're struggling to fully trust Des Ritter, but it kind of felt like that to me in the second half. All right. So I completely agree and understand what you're saying there. And let's let's take a look at what happened in that second half that changes the way the game gets played. You have what you just described as 13 play, 66-yard drive that ate up five minutes and 55 seconds off the clock. Very nice, long, sustained drive. We love those, right? Touchdown puts us up 21-12. In the fourth quarter, we kick a field goal with 6-16 left. That right there put us up by the margin that we, sh- we needed to have been. We should have been up in the second quarter. At the end of the second quarter, maybe early in the third quarter, that causes Tulane to have to start throwing the ball, which starts leading to more turnovers. Right? It's a, it's that separate. We get that separation where them running the ball just isn't going to do the job fast enough. Right? You're you're getting to the point where you have to start throwing the ball in order to either one keep up with us, or two just uh, just frankly you have to score. Right? You can't you can't have seven minute drives. And if you look at what their drives were when they had uh, scoring in the second quarter, uh, they had the, 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 the safety, obviously that's us, but then they had a six play 60 yard drive, five play 80 yard drive. Um, it, it's just, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. So the first half was abominable, right? The first half defensively couldn't get off the field. Huge two-lane success running the ball. And then offensively, we took a safety and we threw a bad interception, which, by the way, would have been intercepted had Leonard Taylor fallen or not fallen. That ball was getting picked off. That was a bad read by Dez. In the second half, so if you're starting fresh and Mike Tressel and Luke Fickle are meeting at halftime and saying, yo, we got to get this defense fixed. Like, two-lane cannot be doing this to us um, given, given what we have defensively. So they come out and you start the second half sort of as a new game. It's 14 to 12. And we decide as a team, okay, offensively, we're going to bash your skull in. We're going to run the ball. We are going to have Dez out running. Dez had 15 rushes in this game. Jerome Ford, we're going to get a heavy dose of him. When we pass the ball, it's going to be more conservative. We're not taking shots downfield. And then defensively, say bye-bye to this running game. We're going to shut down the run game. We're going to force you to pass. And from that, you're going to see turnovers. And the Bearcats forced an interception in the second half, a fumble in the second half, and a turnover on downs in the second half. To me, the second half performance, while not flashy, while not sexy, it was very effective in terms of winning the game. 
So you take that margin from 14-12 to 31-12, and it was a very emphatic, dominating performance in the second half, while not while not necessarily getting us the quote-unquote style points, it was exactly what you would do if you're just trying to win the game emphatically, which is exactly what they did. So maybe we should be giving more credit to what they did in that second half. Look, Tulane scored 10 points on, on offense. That's been about the, the, it seems to be about what we give up. Fine. We can handle that. that that's fine. Granted, I do want a shutout at some point this year. I want one shutout. Is that too much to ask defense? Is that too much to ask Trestle? Give me one. I want one zero burger for the opposing team. Uh, give me a big fat veggie burger, the disgusting dry veggie burger for the opposing team. Closest we got with us, Temple. I want one of those this year, but 10 points, that's fine. I can handle that. It puts us in a position. The thing that was also frustrating, though, they weren't scoring but they were still moving the ball in the first half at least, which was allowing us to lose the field position battle, which is also something that goes into us not being able to take control of the game early and get onto our get onto what our game plan is. You know, we're letting teams stay comfortable and we need to keep them being feeling uncomfortable. And I think that that's, once again, it comes down to, uh, we need the defense to step up and stop the run. If the three, three, five isn't working anymore, they need to figure out something that's going to stop stop people from just rushing up the middle. Two, we need to get a little bit. I don't. I'm not look. I'm not looking for gimmicky play calls. I'm not looking for Statue of Liberties, not anything like that. But I feel like we need need a little more creativity on offense. Use these athletes that we have. You mentioned it perfectly, and I'm glad you brought it up. Des Ritter finally let his legs loose, and it helped. It changed the game in a, in a way. We'd had a great second half. I'm not going to argue he had, that. He had 13 carries, by the way. It wasn't 15 carries. He had 13 carries. Um, it, it's important. Des needs to run the ball. He had a 37-yard run in that first half, finished with 47 yards on the ground, but that ended a streak of very unproductive ground game for Des Ritter. I just think what you realize about our team, the superpower of the Cincinnati Bearcats is that you can't throw on us. Like We are a very dangerous team when you decide to throw the ball on us. So if we can methodically build a 10-point, 14-point, 21-point lead, and we force teams into having to pass the ball and take more chances to come back, well, that's that's night-night for teams because the defense is so talented at generating a pass rush. We saw MyJ Sanders absolutely show out in this game, by the way. Kudos to him for ending the streak on not having a sack. He was dominant. He was the one dominant force in that defensively in the first half that was truly moving the needle. But I think what you see is if this team can stop the run and you and you force teams into third and longs, our defense is going to eat. We are going to see more three and outs. We're going to see more turnovers. And it's going to be advantageous for our offense. So I think if, if you think of this team more as a boa constrictor, and they just sort of start squeezing the life out of teams and putting them into deficits that require more aggressive play, you're not going to beat Cincinnati that way. And I think the second half really encapsulated that because once they got out to the, you know, extended that lead from two points to nine points um, and so forth, like I just think all hope is lost for Tulane. If you're, if you're legitimately going to try and beat the Bearcats, 
at that point it's game over. And and Tulane found that out. Yeah. The one thing I'm not going to, I'm not going to give credit to anybody who says, Oh, well, these teams, this is their super bowl. They're, it puts a target on, it puts a target on your back and everybody's going to come out and give you their best shot. What is that nonsense you're talking about? Like, are we the only team who deals with that then? Get out of here. Like, that's something you have to deal with as the number two team. You, that's what you deal with. You go out and you play your best game because you know they're going to play their best game. That's called competition. Competitors, that's what they should be doing. Playing your best game every single game. And I'm, I'm sick of it. But So can I, can I mention a wish list thing here? Because yeah. if, it's kind of piggybacking on the Denbrock topic. And I'm not just I'm not gonna pretend to be some offensive mastermind that, that can explain, you know, why not strategic concepts to you about what the Bearcats offense should be doing. I just know that when I watch college football, teams that have more talent, they just tend to have really big windows to throw to. Like CJ Stroud for Ohio State, when I see him throw the ball downfield, he's throwing to guys who are just running wide open and there's not a defender draped all over them. I find that when Des Ritter's throwing downfield, he's like throwing into the tightest of windows, it seems like. Alec Pierce, that 40-yard catch, sorry, it was like a 38-yard catch in the first half, I think the first drive of the game. That was a dime. But Alec Pierce had to be fully spread out, you know, making a, a heroic catch, and Des had to put it in the exact right spot. It just seems like, is there something that's not happening that should be happening to allow the type of talent that we have to get wide open or get more open. I know Wiley got open a couple times for, for wide open touchdowns, but like Pierce Ford, Scott, these are, these are fast receivers. These are athletic receivers. And when you're count, when those guys are running routes as a counter to Jerome Ford and Des Ritter on the ground, it just seems like we should have easier throws for Des to make rather than trying to fit the ball into tight windows. I mean, I got, I got no comeback for that, to be honest. I, I kind of feel like I noticed the same thing. You know, you see a lot of these balls that he gets that gets thrown up to Pierce is almost being like a 50-50, you know, the NFL type, just go up and get it. Like, you know, Des has confidence in him that he's just going to put it near him and say, hey, hey Pierce, go make a catch. Uh, and it's kind of scary because at the same time, you know, I know I've been, a, you know, in a sense, a little critical of Des in that. He's a very, very good college quarterback. He's getting draft respect, which is which is great. I want to see him do well in, in at the NFL level. I think he's going to need a lot of work at the NFL level. I don't think his accuracy is quite there, especially to be throwing in the triple coverage. And we see that's when he makes mistakes. Um, he also doesn't – sometimes if he's getting a little – he's he, – my biggest critique of Des so far this season, it's a very small one. And honestly, it is a very small one against Tulsa or Tulane. Sorry, he's running and he's still looking for that throw, you know, to make that throw before he gets to the line of scrimmage. But out in front of him is 15 glorious yards of just open green grass. And he hesitates just enough that it's no longer 15, it's eight, it's seven, it's not the first down. Right. And Des has such an athletic ability to be able to cover a lot of ground quickly with those long strides of his that I want him to be more take it, man. Those are your yards. Go take them. You know, you earned them. You're out there. You're running. Tuck that ball and take off. And I'm glad to see he did that more this game, but I wanted to see him be more just, uh, you know, sure about it. 
have confidence in yourself, young man. You are a great quarterback who can run the ball and throw the ball. And the more you run, the more dangerous your arm becomes. So that's what I want to see from him. I'm not necessarily as, as, as worried about the tight windows. Cause we, he does make, you can make throws and we do get receivers open. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's just it. I think that's, that's my take on that. <laughs> Well, we've probably we've probably talked at uh, at enough length about Tulane specifically. I'd say after Navy, after after Tulane, look when you win the games, you're in a good spot, and the overall resume the Cincinnati Bearcats have is very much college football playoff worthy. Um, and now I think things have improved in some sense that SMU, at least last I checked, I think was still 24th in the in the coaches poll. And in, on the AP poll, they are 23rd. Houston is 20th. And so you mentioned it earlier. I think that is huge for the Bearcats that they do have two potential ranked teams coming up on their schedule, but they are still very much games that I would expect the Bearcats to win. But those are games where you don't have to worry about margin. You don't have to worry about style points. It's get in there, win the game, beat the ranked opponent. Here's why I also feel good. Ranked number two in coaches in AP poll. First college football playoff rankings come out this week. Spoiler alert for the SEC championship game. Alabama's not beating Georgia. And two loss, Alabama is not getting in the college football playoff. Don't, you know I, I'm not worried about Alabama. So I'm, I'm taking them off my, my college football playoff um, projections. Like that's a team after watching Georgia play enough, looking at their defense, Georgia's going to win that game. Georgia's taking care of Alabama for us. And I got a, I got a hot take of all, all hottest takes. This thing is it's flaming. It is the center of the sun hot, melting iron, crushing atoms, creating nuclear energy hot take here. Uh, Pittsburgh is no longer in the picture for the college football playoff. To all you Pittsburgh fans out there, go shh. I'm not, I can't even say because it it's so dirty. Just you keep doing you, man. You keep doing you up in the dirty steel city. You suck. Your team sucks. Pittsburgh hasn't been relevant in like decades and you're still no longer relevant. I'm so glad you guys went to the ACC and did absolutely nothing with your golden ticket. You worthless, worthless, worthless team. Uh, sorry. I just heard I, that's for all the, well, the Pitts, Pittsburgh fans who were talking crap last week about why they deserve to be in over Cincinnati. You lost go home, take your ball with you. We don't even want to play with you. Um, so that's my hottest of hot takes there. That, that air quotes threat is gone. We don't have to worry about Pittsburgh anymore. Oklahoma, very much a team that we need to pay attention to. Their next three games are at Baylor, home to Ohio, I, sorry, at Baylor, home to Iowa State, and at Oklahoma State. They're losing one of those games. They might lose two of those games. I'm not going to disagree with that. They're, they're losing one of those games at least. So, boom. Not, not worried about that team anymore either. Uh, let's see who else we're paying attention to. We're just paying attention to the Big Ten in general, right? Michigan State has moved up to number five in the AP poll, 8 and whoa, whoa, whoa. I got a news alert about that, though. Please. M Michigan State, number five in the AP poll, number six in the coaches poll, has a lower... Odds, according to ESPN in air quotes, to make the college football playoff 
than the team they just beat, Michigan. Explain that do, one to do, me, Bob. Do, 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 do. Red flags. <laughs> <laughs> Red flags for whatever is calculating that behind the scenes, which, uh, as we learned from uh, you know, dear Heather on Twitter, that that's that's kind of uh, erroneous at best. Oh, I want to save that for the end because we got to talk about Timmy Brando. Well, we'll, we'll, say, we'll so save that for the, the end. The last thing I'll say is that Ohio State, <laughs> Michigan, Michigan State, um, these teams are going to cannibalize each other, and you know, Ohio State is probably the biggest threat for obvious reasons because a they're Ohio state. They're one of the biggest brands in college football and the college football playoff committee loves brands. And you can see it based on how often and how frequently they have the same teams in the playoff year in year out. Their remaining schedule is at Nebraska cake. I mean, that, that to me is the equivalent of us playing of hosting Tulsa. Um, so they go, they go to Nebraska home to Purdue home to Michigan state. That's a frisky game. And then at Michigan, which is obviously going to be a layup for them. Jim Harbaugh is never going to beat Ohio State. So the hardest game on that schedule is Purdue, right? (laughs) It might be. Purdue Purdue is good. They've already already given us their one, you know, stupid upset per year. They made the the top 25 rankings for the first time in forever and then promptly fell back out of those rankings. They're going to be out for blood. (laughs) They're going to be out for their second upset of the year. They're going to beat their second top, what, what would that be, top 10 ranked team. So they'll vault right back into the top 25, a solid 15 for doing, for doing that nonsense for us. I have all the faith in the world, Purdue. I'm going to be putting that one in my what is the almost perfect weekend for Cincinnati football parlay. <laughs> we don't need to bring that parlay up. Uh, that was rough. So all of this is to say, and I know it's it's completely made up, who knows hypotheticals, but you heard it here first. The college football playoff is going to end up being number one, Georgia. I'm going to say it's going to end up being number two, number two, Oregon on head to head with Iowa, uh, with Ohio state. Number three, Ohio state and number four, the Cincinnati Bearcats. That's how this whole thing plays out. You're going to see a Georgia, Oregon, Ohio state, Cincinnati final. The Oregon's a little outside the box, but nonetheless, this is just for Tuesday, right? This is just for Tuesday. No, no, no. This is the final rankings based on, based on my, you know, Heather had her season long projection of an undefeated Bearcats team. This is how I see some key matchups playing out for the rest of the year. And I, and I see a clear path for the Cincinnati Bearcats to make the playoff. I like your optimism. Um, uh, I think we're going to see how clear that optimism plays out on Tuesday. Cause uh, look, we basically have Tim, Tim Brando confirming what we've all been thinking the entire time that they basically get told what to say by the people behind the scenes of the committee, the, of the, what is the messaging that, that they want told about what teams and uh, I'm just going to quote, I'm just going to quote his tweet real quick. Cause it's just easier that way. Yeah, you have to. Um, so we're talking about, we'll give the prospectus here or prospectus, not in a freaking uh, investment meeting here, but we're talking about dear Heather, <laughs> <laughs> dear Heather Dinich. Uh, she, she tweets Cincinnati is one of the six remaining undefeated teams 
in FBS, but even at 13 and 0, its playoff resume would be worse than any of the CFP teams in the first six years of the CFP. According to at ESPN stats info, nine SBS teams would have had a better resume, even with one loss. All right. I'm she. So this week it's retweeted by Michael DeCourcy, but Tim Brando's response is, is kind of what's the tell here. This is the red flags. This is the sirens going off. Huge red flag, by the way, this is, I'm going to, after we get off this podcast, I'm going to make sure I'm driving this home for people on Twitter. This is a huge revelation by Tim Brando, huge revelations. All right. So he, he quotes, Basically, he quotes the tweet of a tweet, but it's it's quoting the tweet. And def- he says, she's got to pedal the at CFP playoff propaganda and not to disparage Heather. She's doing her job. That's her beat. And whatever drivel and statistical metric at B Hancock CFP wants out, that's what we receive. So whatever matrix. That BH Hancock CFP wants out. That's what <laughs> we on. receive. You can't just read Twitter handles. Like you, <laughs> you have to give names. Who Hancock is the executive director of the College Football Playoff Committee. I'm give glad people- you're doing that. I'm well. I'm quoting the tweet here, but then I, know, I just but re- you- reread it. That's what we received. The committee's messaging through the CFP office until expansion question mark corrupt. He's he's admitting that there's corruption there. That you have. As you just said, the executive director, right? Is that what it is? Of the college football playoff, pushing out the narrative, statistical matrix that he wants people at CBS, Fox, Disney to use in order to get the biggest brands and eyeballs on these games because that's at the end of the day, all they care about is money. It's all this thing is about is money. It's not about who's the actual best team in college football, it's about who's going to make the most money for the networks. And he's, he's Tim Brando's look. He's he's lifting the curtain behind the uh, the machine that operates the Wizards' terrifying projection. Tim Brando is a national sports commentator for Fox Sports. Tim Brando is very much inside the the machine. That is the college football playoff system. While he's not an ESPN employee and the college football playoff is an ESPN property, I do think it is incredibly revealing to see someone like Tim Brando out. He's tagging. He is tagging Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff, in essentially an accusation of, you guys are continuing to leak your mystery metrics to your ESPN mouthpieces in an effort to deteriorate and slander the resume of the Cincinnati Bearcats football program. Again, he is accusing the college football playoff committee itself of intentionally driving a narrative through their media partner as a way of keeping outside outside schools like Cincinnati out of the conversation. That's a truly remarkable message. I mean, I want to call it brave by Tim Brando. I hope it, it's, it's something I, we all assume it. It's, a, it's, it's honestly, it's taking the assumption we've always made. We've called it corrupt. The man signs off the tweet saying corrupt. Like he's confirming everything we've always speculated on. 
and he's doing it for everyone to see in plain daylight. Well, as he said, as his next one, as Edward R. Murrow said, as it relates to at go Bearcats football, where the playoff is concerned, it's good night and good luck system corrupt and they don't don't even try hiding it anymore you know the big issue actually that we're overlooking here is tim brando with his hundred and twenty seven thousand hundred and twenty eight point seven thousand followers tweets something like that and it's so known it's so not even truly hasn't been hidden for a couple years now if not more that it doesn't even seem to like it doesn't even cause a, a, a tizzy you know it's it's not even causing a stir except amongst us people talking about it and that's that's kind of a shame. Yeah, um, it's, it's just, met with the the wide reaction of yeah, no shit, Sherlock. That's basically what the national reaction to that tweet is. Yeah, and it's it's a joke. Uh, you know, we'll we'll hold out hope Tuesday that they they at least do the right thing. In my opinion, they're gonna if they put us in the first round of rankings, they're gonna do it in a way that makes it easy for them to justify pushing us down and out which would be putting us at like a four, you know, just to, just to shut us up to say, look, we did it. Oh my God. Ohio state won out. We have to put them in or, Oh my God, Alabama only has two losses. We have to put them in. Oh my God, Michigan. Oh, we would love to see them. And they haven't been in one since this thing was created. We got to put them in the eyeballs would be huge. They got two. we got to put them in. It's, that's what I, that's what I can foresee. I hope we're not, I hope we're incorrect. I hope they start us off at a two where, you know, according to the AP coaches and in the, in the, uh, the AP and the coaches, that's where we belong. Um, I know that's not what I said this weekend, but it is what it is. You get emotions run hot during games, but. Well, we'll it's sort of, I, I, would, I would say this, it's sort of like the start of the season being ranked preseason number eight, was historical for UC because we've never started a season that high. And when you start that high, you have the ability of earning your way up the the rankings into a position like number two, which we've done this week of college football playoff rankings is sort of like another, a new preseason ranking of sorts. And so it, it, it will be very interesting to see what they make our starting position, because if you're cynical, and if and and frankly, I've 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 lost some of my cynicism based on how rankings have played out over the last few weeks. I think it's great to see Cincinnati hanging on to their number two and not quickly losing it based on you know the trendy Ohio State play or Michigan State or Oklahoma, an undefeated Oklahoma. Cincinnati is held firm as an undefeated number two, which is nice to see. But this is an opportunity for the college football playoff to really damage Cincinnati's playoff chances by just starting them in the fifth or sixth spot. Oh, if they start us in the sixth spot, guys, game over. Like this just look, right. it's done. I'm not and, even gonna hold hope. The rest of college football, look, Georgia could lose three games. If they start us at number six, Georgia could lose three games from now to now to the end of the season. Oklahoma could go ahead and lose two of those you mentioned. Ohio State could lose one more, and they're still not putting us in because that's why they put us at six. Right. So because I think I think their, the range, their middle finger to us. The range is two. I think the most likely range is probably two to five. That's that's the most likely range. Anything beyond, frankly, we should be very upset at anything beyond four. 
Uh, we should be thrilled if it starts at number two. And we're just, we should probably just leave it there. Like, I don't really want to speculate much more on it. It's going to be interesting to watch. I definitely will want to talk about it on the podcast later this week. But I think with that Hummer, it's a good stopping point. Is there anything else you want to make sure we're mentioning before we, we sign off here? Look, if last week was a, any kind of sign, there's a lot that happened that the football God said, you know what? We're going to bless you. We're going to bless the University of Cincinnati with some good fortune. Some things broke our way that, that was part of the grand scheme that needs to happen. The first one being Michigan State, who everybody kind of already thinks is kind of suspect to begin with, beating Michigan, and probably was suspect because Michigan was bringing in a backup quarterback at the end of that game for some reason at some point. Uh, weird, weird situation there. Uh, we also saw Pittsburgh, who for some reason thought we've already, we've already destroyed their fan base. But, you know, they thought that they had a sh- an outside shot of being the ACC uh, representative. Um, the one that is kind of outside scary is Wake Forest. But Wake Forest apparently became, um, this is their first time ever in the top 10. And that made them the last of the power five teams to, to join, to be a top 10 ranked team throughout, their, throughout the history of power five. So every team now in the Power Five has been ranked top ten. I'm not too worried about Wake Forest, but look, stuff did happen that broke our way. It can keep going our way. If this this year just seems magical, everything's everything's falling into place. Trust the resume. Trust the season long resume. Trust the process. Hummer, let's leave it there, buddy. Trust big fix. Go Bearcats. <laughs>